This episode is made possible by our generous patrons. Welcome to the Ink to Film Podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm James. And I'm Luke. And this week, we discuss the last three episodes of Neil Gaiman's 2019 series, Good Omens. This episode is going to be one big avocado. <laughs> what did you think of this line? Did you did you think anything of it, or how did you feel? When about does the it, whole... when does that even come up? I, I like I'm vaguely remember it. That's that's the that's the as much as I remember about that line. There's like a demon who's like replicated twice, two other times, or like, or he, basically he's the exact same demon oh, multiple times. It's the it's the joke, right? It's the joke, and then Haster like laughs at it mm-hmm. eventually. I don't get it. <laughs> Right. I mean, I don't get it either. I just thought it was funny that he didn't laugh at it and murdered like two people and then laughed at it. Yeah, that was one of those one of those cool added scenes, which we definitely get uh, a bunch of those throughout these last three episodes. We got a lot of changes, and I think it was most mm-hmm. most of the changes were here in these last three episodes. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, there was some in the in the first three as well, but um, when you're coming towards the end of of a of a thing, it's going to feel bigger. I think and. You're going to see, uh, I think Martin always talks about the butterfly effect of like small changes early on in the story will lead to bigger things in the end. And I think we saw some of that, like some of these smaller changes leading to bigger things in the end. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, they, they mostly worked for me. So I think we should we should give our general thoughts here in a second. But I think you wanted to do some housekeeping real quick. Yeah. So we just released three older episodes on our brand new YouTube channel. And that's our coverage of Die Hard and the book that it was based off of that we did Back in 2017, when we first started out, it was our Christmas project. I had a lot of fun with those episodes. Put them up on YouTube, so definitely check those out if you haven't listened to them before. It'd be really cool. Uh, make sure to subscribe when you're there. And also, we wanted to announce our next official project, which is going to be Children of Men, written by P.D. James. And uh, I know it has a, a movie adaptation starring Clive Owen that I have seen, but it's been a while. I remember enjoying it. I'm definitely excited to revisit that, especially after reading the source material. Um, so hopefully you'll join us for that. We're going to talk about the book in a way that'll uh, kind of give you a preview of it. If you haven't read it, let you know what it's about, and you can kind of decide whether or not you're interested in, ch- in checking it out or just listening to our coverage. But we'd love to have you for that. Yeah, and we actually came to this project. We we put a bunch of sci-fi projects on our on our Council of Inklings on Facebook, and at yeah. first we were kind of just wondering what people had interest in. And then Children of Men had the most votes, and we were like, you know what? I think it's time to do Children of Men, which yeah, I, you said, you talked about it. I mean, I love the movie, so I'm looking forward to seeing the source material and and watching that movie again because it's been a couple years for me now. Yeah, and that's a, that's a project we've been thinking about doing like basically since the beginning. That's one of the projects that we've always had our eye on. So I'm excited to get to it. So yeah, hopefully you'll join us for that. But yeah, man, I want to just reflect on this project a little bit now that we're coming to the end of our coverage of it. This is our fourth episode on Good Omens. We spent two in the book and now two on the on the show and and uh, maybe just some general thoughts overall before we get into the episode specific. But like uh, what what are your what are your general takeaways on this project? I think it's just fun. I had a, I had a yeah. really fun time with it. I'm happy that this exists as an adaptation and I'm glad that it, we were able to get the weird musings of Terry Pratchett and 
and Neil Gaiman on screen because it is very faithful and I think that it is it does capture the tone and it does create for interesting and unique TV that you're not going to get anywhere else. So I'm really happy with it. I really had a fun time with it and and you know by the end I didn't want to see the characters go. I wanted to see more. So I think that that's that's kind of where you want to leave characters sometimes. Right. Yeah, I mean I agree with that and and I've seen a lot of different kind of think pieces being put out there people saying that this is a show that TV needs right now. It needed something like this, kind of like a fun apocalypse. Um, and, you know, for various reasons. And while I like a lot of, like, the darker, grittier stuff that we, we have on TV, um, I do think it is nice to have that contrasting, uh, big, but, you know, well-made show that is just tonally night and day from from something like Chernobyl, which I'm <laughs> enjoying the hell out of right now. Um and it's it's it, it's watching these two shows at the same time essentially is what I was doing this last week is crazy because the tonal difference is is, is literally as, as far apart as you could possibly get in my opinion, and it is cool though because it's it's like a very different feeling. I can watch it for a different reason. I can go into it knowing I'm going to feel a different way, um, and and I like that. I think it's it's good to have variety in our entertainment and. I like having this sort of show to go to, and I think um, I'm gonna have to find something else to fill the role that this has had these last few weeks for me. That so I can I can have something lighter to bounce over to when I need it. There's certain shows that catch your attention because because they are just different, and I think that we get into these these rhythms where we see the same show over and over, or we see really really dark, and we see people try to replicate shows. Like you'll see, you know, when Game of Thrones was getting popular, we started to see a lot of people try to do Game of Thrones. And, and this is the kind of show that comes along every once in a while. And it's just like, it's just different and you need yeah. different. I think that it's, and will it's we, just... will we see imitators coming after this? Cause I think it's been, I don't know. Like I don't have the solid numbers. I don't, I'll be curious to know if you did any research into this, but it seems like this has been a pretty big success from just the, the buzz I've seen online, um, for a show that I think people didn't know how big it was going to be. Yeah, I don't know that because it's on a streaming platform, I don't know how much they're going to release any sort of like viewing right. numbers or ratings or anything. But as far as like social media engagement or, you know, people marketing materials and stuff, it's everywhere. And I think yeah. that people are talking about it, especially for a show that feels very British, even though I know Neil Gaiman, you know, lives in America and and, and does a lot of stuff in America. It still feels very British to me. And, and it feels like a show that I could easily see something like this being like, oh, yeah, it's huge in Britain, but like only some people watch it over here. But I don't think that's the case. I think people are watching it everywhere. Yeah, I did want to jump back to where you were talking about Chernobyl in this show at the same time. So now I'm glad that you can now live in the horror, the horror that I felt when I was talking about when they when they looked down into the nuclear reactor for that little lemon lemon drop or whatever was down there when I was like, don't put your face near a reactor. Uh, yeah, that was like the last straw of like, uh, recommendations I needed was you like endorsing the show because I'd heard so many good things that I was like, after that, I was like, all right, I'm gonna watch the show now. And, uh, yeah, I told, I'm totally with you, man. Uh, that's a nightmare inducing show. I, I, if you're going to watch it and you haven't finished good omens, save an episode of good omens to like cleanse your palate before you go to bed. Otherwise you're going to have nightmares about crazy radiation. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's horrible. It's horrible. <laughs> So I had a little fun thing that that I wanted to bring up. It was actually from the interview that we that you and I both listened to. You had me listen to, mm-hmm. um, where because I just I was really thinking about how like Michael. I love seeing Michael Sheen and, and David Tennant together, mm. and I, I was just thinking about like wh- how fantastic the casting was really across the board. I loved a lot of the casting, but um, Neil Gaiman had this comment that I kept thinking about throughout my the coverage here, and he basically said that. 
uh, Tenet and Sheen and himself would had like a joke or kind of they kept saying that if there was ever a, a, like a theater version of this, that that Tenet and Sheen would swap roles as a zero fail and Crowley every every yeah. once in a while, which I think would be so incredible. Be, and and I actually I mean, spoilers, we'll talk about it later, but I think I could <laughs> see it. I think there's like I think there's something there. I could definitely see uh maybe sheen playing a darker more crowley type and and yeah let's revisit that in a little bit here as we go just in case people i don't know if people are always going to come in having watched all of the episodes or if they're going to listen to this in pieces so um i think let's dive into episode four because it sounds like we're eager to talk about episode six so we'll get there eventually um but if you're ready man i'm ready to, to to talk episode four so episode four is called saturday morning fun time Things that Adam has read about and been told by Anathema become true like the Tibetan monks in an underground tunnel, the reappearance of the lost city of Atlantis, aliens arriving, and the Kraken-destroying whaling ships. Aziraphale tries to convince Gabriel to prevent the war, but he refuses. Gabriel also learns Aziraphale has been consulting with Crowley. Meanwhile, Newt arrives in Tadfield. His car crashes, injuring him and causing Adam and his friends to bring him to Anathema's house to heal up. Newt reveals to her that Adam is the Antichrist. Adam starts showing signs of dark power, which worries his friends. He eventually does, does not allow them to leave his sight. Ligger and Hester find out Crowley lied about finding the real Antichrist and go after him. He manages to kill Ligger with holy water and trap Hester in the answering machine. Aziraphale consults the Metatron and tries to convince him to prevent the war, but he too agrees it is a good thing. Shadwell arrives in Aziraphale's bookshop convinced he is in league with the witches and demons and tries to exorcise him, but ends up separating him from his mortal body and sending him up to heaven. Shadwell also accidentally burns down the bookshop. I feel like that summary takes takes some liberties here and there, but <laughs> it's a good jumping off point. So I did want to talk about the CG in the show because there were moments of just absolute brilliance. And I think a lot of it, I think there's a lot more CG in the show than people expect or even realize um okay. it's it's pretty he- effects heavy it's it's i mean sometimes i think it's pretty obvious i mean some of some of it was done in a way that i felt was kind of like we're not going for hyper real here we're gonna we're gonna have a little fun with it um right but there yeah i'd be curious to know what what examples you were gonna give i just felt like they're they're it's very clearly uh a series budget like a tv show budget mm-hmm. or or at least a, maybe not even budget but but time constraint because you have they have to work the the amount of time that the effects departments get to work on these shows is so much less than something you see in like a film like a th- films that go into theaters and big blockbusters and stuff so you kind of have to take a lot of the cg with a grain of salt and that's why i feel like when when it's great it's amazing that it's even pulled off um i think for instance like i thought satan looked really really great Mm, um i agree but like you know a lot of these other things that happened like the kraken i thought looked really good there were you know there yes. were a couple shots here and there that i felt like were like you know clearly a tv cg but but the aliens were a little wonky like the ship was a little wonky here and there well it was made it was made to look like that model that was in his bedroom Adam's right yeah. bedroom and yeah that's another it could be a stylistic choice as well yeah i wanted to take a moment and say something that's gonna make me sound stupid um, just because I feel like I often say things that, you know, maybe make me sound smart on, on the show, but I'm going to do the opposite <laughs> now. Um, watching the show, <laughs> I mean, why not? Uh, watching the show, I realized that somehow in the book, I didn't put two and two together that the aliens were there because of Adam. Right. That's what I was talking about in the episode. Like he, they came down and said, like, although you're, ta- there's the, you know, although the, the, you're messing up the planet, we're here with like a peace treaty type thing. Yeah. And that was like kind of the, that was his influence on it, right? 
Yeah, which totally makes sense, and I'm sure is definitely true in the book. I just didn't think about it that way, and I don't know why. Because in retrospect, mm-hmm. it's it's a really, like, duh moment. Like, of course, that's what was happening. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Just, you know, even even thinking about this stuff and reading it closely, I still miss something like that the first time around, so... I am fallible. <laughs> You're human. I mean, what do you what do you want, man? I just want. I mean, I'll lay it out there. Maybe other people had similar had similar things that they maybe didn't realize, and and the show sort of sh- like uh, illuminated it for them. In some to way. go down that path, to go down that path. Then does that? So you just kind of thought that like aliens came down in general, like you didn't. I think guess. Anything weird I don't about know, it? man. It sounds really dumb when you say it that way now, but I guess that's what I thought that aliens just showed up. Well, because they could be like a cosmic force that showed up because they some crazy shit was going down on Earth and they came in to like investigate it. And that's what I kind of thought. I didn't I don't know why I didn't realize that of course Adam's the one who essentially created them and summoned them. Man. I mean, yeah. How how did you think they looked once they <laughs> once they pulled those helmets off? Once they once they it pulled was, back. It was kinda... funny. You know, it was, it was played for like ri- kind of ridiculous like hmm. looking, I don't know. Um, so I think it was fine. Something that does remind me a lot of is is some of the effects that end up in in a show like Doctor Who. So I'm yes. I'm like it doesn't bother me really that much. But I've seen people online talking about the CG, and I just think it's good to bring up the fact that like they're under such a time constraint, and the fact that they're able to pull off some amazing effects that you wouldn't you couldn't differentiate from like a yeah. film is is pretty impossible to yeah. like the the fact that that exists. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a mixed bag, right? Like there are some times where it looks really really good, and there's other times where it looks very TV, very very right. you know lower budget. So. And I mean, I think I think people don't realize also that like the effects department would be the first people to tell you like, oh, we could have made that look better. You know what I mean? It's just yeah, given the, it's time. the time, you just don't yeah. have the time. So one thing I did notice I thought was pretty cool in the show, and you know I don't know maybe I'm wrong about this, but there was a little wing on the side of the messenger's uh, truck that he drives around or whatever you call that. Um, mm-hmm. he's, he's delivering these packages and I thought the little wing to me was reminiscent of Apollo the you know like the messenger of the gods and the the wing sandals kind of deal mm-hmm. and so I thought maybe they were trying to make a reference to that what do you think of that yeah I could I can totally see that I, I didn't make that connection but I, I totally get that I mean it makes sense too because he's clearly a messenger right and shout out to Simon Morels by the way uh, the actor who plays the the delivery man uh, he uh, he liked our tweet about our last episode, so that was cool. And uh, shout out to Douglas McKinnon as well, who actually retweeted that tweet. So it's it's really cool to get some interaction with some of the people who actually made this show, and uh, we appreciate that. And and hopefully uh, we get a few people who are checking out our show because of it. So I wanted to talk about the we talked about in our coverage maybe last episode when that Neil Gaiman talked about how he wanted to bring in some of the outside elements that weren't in the books, mainly the the stuff going on with the bureaucratic side of heaven and hell, some of those characters and, and getting more of Gabriel and more of uh, Beals above and, and seeing a lot of hell, which I also wanted to mention the fact that hell is like the DMV, like a bureaucratic office space. And yeah. it's just like dingy and wet and like everybody looks gross. Um, that's a really fun depiction of hell. And, you know, not yeah. I think a lot more palatable in a comedy than like burning lakes of fire and stuff. Yeah, and and honestly, it's weird because I feel like Satan doesn't feel like he fits in that <laughs> in that world they've set up. He feels like he's uh, that more like quintessential classic version of Satan. Um, yeah. Instead of instead of you know like a person version of Satan, which I don't know could have been interesting. Um, if if I don't just know, like Benedict Cumberbatch walked out. Yeah, there you go. 
but I think it's cool to, to also see like the I, like I said I think that Satan looked really good I think that was one of the parts that I was like wow they really made sure that Satan looked cool yeah and it's funny because I remember when I saw him in the trailer I wasn't that taken with how he looked um mm-hmm. but I felt like in the show he actually looked better and I don't know if they did they did like an additional touch-up to it or if it was just like a certain frame or two of it looked a little off, but then other frames looked better. Like when he's actually talking to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it was, but I, for whatever reason, I, yeah, I liked it better in the, the final episode, but we're still getting ahead of ourselves. So we should focus on this episode. So this is where um, a big, a big part of this episode is where anathema and newt uh, are connecting and then they are getting ready to go out and do something. And then like the apocalypse is hitting, we get a storm, we get the scene where they're holding onto the door and like flying in the air, go inside, have sex. Um, and this mm-hmm. is something out of the book. And um, I just want to know, like, what did you think of this scene and, and how did it play on screen for you? I don't think there's any way that this scene couldn't have been like a little awkward. And yeah. just in general, I feel like I there. I mean, I guess I wanted to start by saying like the first three episodes I felt were really, really strong. I felt like they were they were setting up characters that we we understood and were getting connected to. And then I think that these last three episodes suffered from us not being quite connected enough to the characters and it felt like if I had some more attachment to new and it just it just all happens very quickly. And I know that that's how it is in the book. But um, I don't know. It was it was definitely an awkward scene. And it was I, it was in the book. So I knew that I know they had to do it. But it was just I don't know. It didn't it, it wasn't really that funny. It seemed like really awkward to me. And like it seemed yeah. f- weird because it was like a prophecy. So but again, a lot of that's from the book. Yeah, I, I'm you know, honestly, I'm kind of relieved to hear that you also thought it was a little odd. Um because, yeah, I mean, like, you can always go with the defense of, like, well, it's in the book, so it should be there that way. Um, but I don't think that is, a, you know, necessarily something that has to be there. Now, on the other hand, uh, this is a this is a show that's lighter. It's about, in some ways, it's about um, humanity and romance and connection. And they wanted to introduce this romantic subplot for these two characters that we see pays off at the end with them, you know, the anathema choosing to reject the prophecies and and so forth. Um but like you said, I think there wasn't maybe enough time to get invested with them. Um, or maybe it wasn't, I don't know, because it could also just be the way the characters were portrayed. Um, I, I don't know. Like, I, I didn't, I never really liked Newt enough to feel that connected to him. Um, he was always just kind of okay to me. And I think there was still a bit of that, because I was because I was starting to talk about this last episode with like the having him quote unquote looking better. But the more I think about it, they really did. He's not really that good looking. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know who was saying that online. I'm not saying the guy is bad looking. I just he's not like a model. Right. Like he's not some some dev, devilishly handsome actor, in my opinion. Um, and so it still feels a bit like wish fulfillment to me, like male wish fulfillment. Get to hook up with the sexy witch. Right. And that's how it felt in the book. And that's kind of how it felt in the show as well. And I don't know, I just, I guess I kind of hope they might play that differently. And I was almost a little disappointed to see it played out essentially just like it happens in the book. Again, I just think that I don't even necessarily think, and I don't want it to, to seem like I'm saying that it was like any, the portrayals, I felt like they did a pretty good job with what they were given. I just don't know if they were really given very much to sell the relationship. And I think it just comes down to the fact that there wasn't much written in the book about it. And then so there didn't need to be that much in the show to kind of play play along the same plot line and everything. Um, and I think maybe it just didn't work quite as well as it did in the book for me. 
I, I think this kind of leads into some of the stuff that I felt with the them as well. I felt like I understood who the characters were a little more in, in the book. And for, I, I just didn't really feel the connection or attachment. And it just other than the scene where he's like torturing his friends, a lot of those scenes just blend together for me. Interesting. Yeah, um, the anathema and Newt thing is kind of just to circle back to that before we get on to the them and other things. It was, yeah, it was one of my first kind of bummer moments for me watching the show in that I didn't feel sort of like unreservedly like, oh, yeah, this is all awesome, which mm-hmm. I came off of episode three, which is still my favorite episode of the six. A feeling like, man, this show's amazing and it's just going to reach new heights, new heights. And I don't know, I just, I remember I was watching it with my wife and she kind of was like, eh, like this is kind of pointless, like what, why is this happening kind of thing when this was, when it was going on. And I kind of felt the same way, like this, it just felt unnecessary and I don't know, maybe, maybe um, that's callous of me and maybe it's like, yeah, why not? It just have some romance and it can be fun and it can be, it can be, you know, semi-romantic or whatever and, th- and that's a good thing and there's nothing wrong with it. And like, I don't like to say, it's not like I hated it, I just, it I don't know. It just kind of fell a little flat, I guess. Yeah, I think I I agree with you. And you actually just reminded me of something. I think maybe what it is for me as as funny as it's supposed to be the the sex scene. It's it's a pretty long drawn out joke. Her head is like revealed from under the bed and then he's revealed from under the bed. And they're both like I think it's just like a really long joke that it gets kind of cartoony. um, yeah, I think I think it was just a little too much. And maybe if it was more subtle, you would be like their relationship would seem more real or more like intimate. But it just felt like it was just all a joke to me. Right. Maybe that maybe that joke plays better in a book. And and that's not to say that I didn't that I hated it. I just think that yeah. I, I was like, I, I kind of wish that there was a little more something there. So let's move on from that. Um, I, You know, there was a lot of good. There's a lot of good. There is um, we get we get Shadwell coming to the bookstore and, and that plays out in much the same fashion. Aziraphale actually says, oh fuck, gets, you know, pulled up into heaven. Which is such a funny, like it works yeah. so well in the book, so well in the show as well. So yeah. funny to hear him just say, oh fuck, and then he just gets <laughs> shot away. I think it's like the very end of the episode, right? And it, it is funny because it just like in the book, it kind of stands out because this doesn't feel like a show that's going to have F-bombs. And right. we get a couple of them because we get another one later. Um, the, it's like it's kind of shocking when you hear them like oh damn and it's because it's like yeah it's on Amazon Prime they can do whatever the fuck they want <laughs> they don't, you know right. what I mean like they can have PG-13 for all of it and then hit you with that you know right. why not I, I also did want to mention we were we skipped a couple of things I wanted to talk about the yeah. Nick Offerman showed back up with his son Warlock and they were like when when uh, Haster thought that this you know this was the Antichrist yeah and I kind of liked a lot of the Haster added stuff so in this one yeah they have the interaction where where he spills the holy water on uh ligger killing him and then they jump into the phone line they kind of digitize and in, in a, a way that i thought looked pretty cool and it was definitely over the top but i thought like that all looked pretty good to me as much as you can imagine a demon getting sucked into a telephone no I, yeah i think that all worked well for me and i like the the update from the phone line into like the digital world rather than it being you know the chase through the through the phone line in the book, right? That's true. Uh, the Ligur death was pretty was pretty good looking too, right? He like folded in on himself, like melted. Yeah, pretty crazy looking. There's a scene where where Crowley like runs up on on Aziraphale and he's like, "We can still get out of here. We can we can just jet off to you know whatever I forget what galaxy or, or uh, he was he kept talking about a specific galaxy and he's like, "We can just head off there." And they very much leaned into the relationship again, yeah. which I've seen a lot of people talking online about and. I just think it's it's so fun to to like let it be what what people want it to be. I think that that was such a good choice on their part. Whether people want it to be platonic, 
or whether people want it to be a relationship. I like that it did lean in more than the book. So, that, that, you know, like lead, lend some credence there. But, you know, it's just I, I like it. It's it's not like bashing you over the head with any sort of with with either way. You know, I, th- I just think that's really nice. Yeah. I mean, I can see the argument. Um, I can see people saying like, you know, this was an opportunity to have representation in this sort of relationship um, and, and, and try and normalize it. And I, I agree that that is a worthwhile pursuit. And I can I, I'm not saying that this show is immune to that sort of criticism. Um, but I do think that it, it's sort of like we talked about, like it's trying to play it both ways. It's trying mm-hmm. to say, like, if you want this to be platonic and you want it to be non-romantic, you know, it, it can be. And if you want it to be a uh, relationship, you know, a sexual relationship between two men or a loving relationship between two men, it can be that, too. And and I think you're going to lose some people by trying to play it both ways. Right. Like, it's just going to happen. Yeah. I mean, that is that is true. Like the, the safer path isn't always what what people are interested in. But I mean, if we're being honest, my I, I've, I mean, I fall in the category of people who just think that they love each other, like genuinely are in a romantic relationship because right. of the show like I, that's that's the camp that i land in and and the fact that they left it open you know maybe it was like the the broad way to do it but i felt like they were in a relationship by the end so well and i think also in neil gaiman's defense i think he fell back on what made sense for the world and the characters he created and him and terry pratchett created and they made these angels and demons sexless in that way incapable of having a true romantic relationship in the way that humans think of it right but i mean even so they clearly have a relationship whether it's sexual or you know so it's like it's like they have as much as they can without maybe the sexual nature of it that that they would have if they were actually human and i I guess that's the distinction is is like that's their that's the one thing that keeps them from being truly human and then maybe also keeps them from having that like true human relationship. I mean, instead they have a unique sort of romantic slash platonic uh, romance throughout the ages that, that has a certain tension to it because both of them clearly have feelings for each other that maybe they don't know how to express or feel like they can't express because of who they are. And to me it's like he just leaned into that ultimately it wasn't like he invented that for the show because he was like oh i don't want to i don't want anyone to get the wrong idea so i'm going to invent this thing like that was always there from the origin of this idea and Mm -hmm. so i think that when it was came time to make a decision like how we're going to play this we're just going to play it how it was in the book and how it was originally conceived and uh so to me uh, you know i'm just i'm not saying anybody's wrong who who you know, wishes that it was a different way, but it, it worked well for me and, you know, take that with a huge grain of salt. Cause obviously, you know, straight white guy. So I'm the kind of person that it would play well for. So of course, at the end of the day, like, I think, I think, like you said, Neil Gaiman would, would come down and say that their relationship can't be described in any sort of way that we perceive it because they are like angelic beings that are beyond human understanding in some ways. So I think that's kind of what he would say about the subject. Yeah. But, and, you know. and the, and the romance we do see is their humanity coming through, right? So like, I feel like there has to be, like, there has to be sort of this tension between the human and the angelic within their beings, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Which leads me to something that's in in the next episode, but I did want to say, God at one point says that, that Crowley has something that no other demon has, and that's an imagination. 
Mm. And we can talk about like what that does for him. And I want to talk about why he has an imagination when other demons don't. Uh, okay. Last couple of things I want to talk about in this in this episode is did you did you enjoy the the joke with where God was talking about how many how many angels can can stand on the head of a pin and then or dance on the head of a pin and then and then saying like angels don't actually dance and Azir but Aziraphale is one angel who does. Yeah, and that's another example of of Xerophel and Crowley being special, right? Being different and and truly having gone native and and adapting human things. And also, we mm-hmm. just got an awesome scene of Xerophel dancing, which is really funny. And then God mentions that demons do dance, and we see Crowley like the nineteen seventies Crowley like <laughs> dancing around and stuff. Yeah, doing disco and stuff. Yeah, it was so oh, good. That's good. Man, and whenever we got any of those like time flashes, different costumes, different over-the-top behaviors like that i mean that's like what i loved the most about episode three and then whenever we got any more of that i was always so into it yeah just really good stuff and and yeah we talked about a zero fail communing with metatron and he falls into the portal oh i did all right last thing in the episode sorry this is the very last one crowley goes into a movie he's in a movie at one point and it's like a claymation movie and the demon uh haster like takes over the movie and starts like rips the the rabbit's head off or whatever the the shot like zooms in on crowley while he's out in the crowd and there's one other person in the crowd and that's a neil gaiman cameo he's like all slumped over like he's asleep in the movie um yeah i caught that too or i saw somebody post on twitter about it so i was looking for it um yeah yeah, it's good stuff and and definitely definitely a cool way to kind of just put himself in the show loved it so episode five is called the doomsday option Crowley becomes deeply distraught to find Aziraphale's bookshop in flames and no sign of him, leading him to believe he lost his best friend. Aziraphale is discorporated from his physical body. He is able to tell Crowley that he placed information about the Antichrist in Agnes Nutter's book, which Crowley salvaged from the bookshop. Aziraphale co-inhabits Madame Tracy's body. With Shadwell, they head to the military base in Tadfield to meet with Crowley. Hastur escapes from the answering machine and teleports into Crowley's car, that he drives through a fire, causing Haster to be incinerated. Adam comes into his powers, but he frightens off his friends. Upset over his friends leaving him, Adam comes back to himself. He and his friends also head to the military base. At the base, the four horsemen have taken over the communications hub from which they gain control of all the world systems. Crowley catches up to Shadwell and Madame Tracy at the base. Haster come, uh, has all these cool scenes where he is uh, comes back and he's done a lot more in the show and then he comes back and, and he does there's the whole maggot scene right mm-hmm. um, which I was it was cool to actually get that in the show and see what that looks like and he mm-hmm. kills a room full of people and he's you know he's angry and he's back and then he I, I felt like it was kind of anticlimactic that he just he pops into the car doesn't seem to be able to really do anything and then just gets burned up and like I get why it makes sense it just um it felt like they'd built up Haster to be a lot more badass in the show than he ended up being. It's interesting though because he doesn't even he just like goes back to hell. Whereas Ligger died from the holy water, you would think. Yeah, or well like, I think he just gets discorporated maybe and whereas Ligger, if you get the holy water on you, it's like legit extinction right. regardless. So right. I assume that's what happened. At the very beginning of the episode, the somebody to somebody to love song by Queen. Yeah. Uh, w- when he's like racing in his car, he's like pissed, and he and and Crowley like gets out and he runs into the fire. That song playing while he's thinking he lost his friend or, you know, in my eyes, lover, someone to love. Like you know, it's yeah. again on the nose a little bit, but it's like it's such a that was a powerful moment. And I think like David Tennant really sold that scene with the way that he was like, "You bastards, you killed my friend," and like he's just so upset and he and it's just everything's burning down around him he finds the agnes nutter's book and he and he walks out of the flaming building and it's just like 
that was a really strong and, and you know, it's mostly from the book but really really strong performance and really strong scene and only made better by that queen song i i did want to say i i pointed out on my personal instagram that uh i i took a screen i, I not really a screen grab i just took a picture of my screen with my phone um crowley drinking uh talisker i don't know if you did you see that i posted that instagram i didn't know that's pretty cool though yeah so i I, there's there's a part where he's in the bar and he's drank a whole bottle and then he gets a second bottle and he starts drinking that and then aziraphale shows up and i was at one point i was able to stop it and you could see talisker and then like it cuts the r off but i was like okay so he's drinking talisker which is a scotch that i rather love so i was uh, i was i was commending him on his good taste could you get a good read on like the year and everything yeah i think it was the 10 year which is their their flagship um their main uh expression that you see you see a lot of places so that's cool so it's like something that people have had before and you've probably had before yeah i've had yep that's cool had a, I've, I've had a couple of bottles i've it's good stuff if you want to drink like crowley drink talisker 10 year <laughs> can they sponsor the podcast i hope so <laughs> send us money crazy. send us don't I send us money just send bottle. us a bottle of talisker that's all i want yeah i'll take a bottle yeah i'll talk about it on every episode <laughs> i haven't had any so i'd like to compare it to the other scotch that i have had <laughs> Uh, so in that scene, he gets pretty drunk. And and by the way, if you want to be like Crowley, maybe drink Talisker, but also get a pair of those sweet sunglasses. <laughs> yeah. So he he definitely is like really distraught over, you know, they killed my best friend and 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 all that stuff, uh, right? Like it's Crowley's kind of like a diva, right? Like he's very like he wears his emotions on his sleeve. He's very kind of intense with that. I've seen a lot of people draw comparisons to Crowley being like, you know, like this rock star, like the clearly yep. like that he's it's a very like rock star vibe. And I think that he like he latched onto that in humanity and he like saw a lot of what he liked. Um, and yeah, there's there's a lot of that, you know, rock stars are known to be divas and emotional, but also, you know, cool in, in other situations, the mm-hmm. coolest person in the room and all that kind of stuff. So I think it, I think it worked really well for the character. Mm-hmm. I agree. We don't get the scene with Aziraphale jumping into all the bodies. Yeah, into all the different. Sp- we had a lot of fun with that, that in the book. Um, I was a little bummed to not to not get some of those some of those classic. I just wanted parts, the one. But... I just wanted the one televangelist. Yeah, but they just kind of just changed the way that that played out. He was able to he was able to look at the globe when he was on the other side and go directly to England. So it wouldn't have made sense really for him to be popping around into them. I don't know. Um, it, they just changed it. You know. Um, yeah. And I was kind of sad to not see that scene because I, I thought it would have been really funny. But um, what we got was good. You know, no, mm-hmm. no real complaints about it. How did you um, feel about the Madam Tracy seance? Yeah, I mean, to me, it was similar to some other scenes and that it was mostly good. Um, parts of it maybe went on a little too long or were, were I don't know. It's like as much as we like these characters, Madam Tracy and Shadwell, to me, both started to wear thin the longer the, the show went on. And I started to become less interested in them. Um, and, and I don't remember having this problem in the book. Um, but it, on the show, it was like, I wanted to spend more time with Crowley and Aziraphale. I, and, and that's what I'm trying to say. Like, it's not really as much that I, I definitely dislike these characters. It was like, I like them okay, but like, I want to spend more time with Crowley and Aziraphale, you know, because they're the ones I'm really here for. And I think that's what it really comes down to is like, like we got so attached to Aziraphale and Crowley and the performances that were being pulled off. It was just like, God, I want, I want more of that. And, um, I, like I, I guess to kind of counter your point a little bit, I thought that Madame Tracy was a high point of the show for sure. Okay, I really really loved um, the the going back and forth specifically when she was given the zero fail and and the uh, Madame Tracy stuff to do. So funny and and I thought again a high point. Um, 
I she seems so familiar to me in the first couple episodes that we saw her, and then around this time, I really it clicked for me, and I was like, "That's Rita Skeeter from from Harry Potter," and it oh. totally is. Who's cool. like she she first shows up as as Rita Skeeter in in Goblet of Fire, I believe, and she, you know she's like the media journalist who's like always digging to try to get like the the you know really shallow pieces on all the characters and stuff. I'm such a bad Harry Potter fan, I barely remember. I, I, this character at all so <laughs> we'll get to it eventually yeah she's a bigger deal in the uh in the book but uh, okay she shows up a few times in, in the movies um but she's and she so miranda richardson is is who plays rita skeeter and harry potter and then madam tracy in this show um and i just thought she was a high point i actually liked her more than i like shadwell for sure okay so i, I i'm gonna amend what i said a little bit because i actually do agree that i i I did like her, and and I think it was particularly the seance scene itself. Um, while there was definitely some funny highlights, there was a part where I think she was talking with this um, other voice, and it kind of just went on a little longer than I expected. And but ultimately, you're right. I did really like her performance. I think it was more Shadwell, which is funny because I really like Michael McKean. I think he did a great job, and like Better Call Saul, incredible job. He's a great actor. Mm-hmm. Um, but it felt like he sort of had a one note finger joke thing that he was doing, and a certain look he would give, and the nipples thing and like it was funny but it i don't know for whatever reason maybe it's maybe it's because i read the book leading up to the show um that those jokes just started to wear on me a little bit as it went on it was like it was too one note um i wanted either more from him or less from him i wanted a little more from him and i don't even like like you said i don't know if it's necessarily the performance or just the material given i think it's probably more more the material given but yeah i think it was just more time that could have been dedicated towards Crowley and, and Aziraphale is m- probably the reason why I, I mostly wasn't really invested in his character. So I want to talk about one omission that I guess I kind of understand why they did it, but I, I sorely missed it. And that was the, the four other horsemen of the apocalypse. Yeah. yeah. Um, completely absent from the show. That was one of our like favorite bar- bits from the, from the book that we both laughed at quite a bit. Um, we get none of that. And I was kind of sad. And then honestly, it, that kind of, it relates to an overall slight disappointment I had with the four horsemen in the show. Um, while I mostly liked them and I liked death a lot, um, especially their final showdown, I think in the next episode there was, I, I would, there, I had some things that I was a little disappointed with, with how the horsemen ended up being, being on the, on the screen. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was definitely one of my points. I, I was, okay. it's, it's to, to me, I, I was a little more disappointed, I think, than what you were just saying. I just felt like, it, again, I wasn't invested in the characters at all. And also they were just underwhelming. They didn't seem all that powerful. Mm. They, they did a couple things here and there. I thought that their introductions were probably their strongest parts. And then everything yeah. beyond that started to get really, um, I think it started to become hard for them to show their power or be intimidating. Um, and like you said, I, I, the introduction of death, like, I think it worked. I think it did work for me ultimately. And there were the scene where he leaves, uh, the fact that we get the actual, like God giving the actual, uh, narration from the book. I wanted to, cause you really like that from the book The you know, opens his black wings and their stars. Yeah. The things that we're we getting in the next episode, yeah. by the way, but we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll We'll talk about it, I guess, in a second. But I just thought that that, that was a cool part that they, they also brought back. And yeah, death overall. The, I think the mask was creepy looking for sure. But yeah. again, I think all four horsemen for me were just weren't that intimidating. I like the way he spoke, too. I thought they mm-hmm. did a good job of, of, of nailing that set, like the sound of death. Um, to me, he was the strongest of the four, I guess. Um, oh, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, I, so I, I wanted to mention I, I, I had been wondering where did I know the actor who plays war from 
I because mm-hmm. they seem so familiar to me. Um, and then I finally remembered where I know her from. Um, her name's Muriel Enos. I'm probably mispronouncing the last name. Um, and she was in The Killing, which I don't know if you saw any of that show. No, um, I've never seen that one. Yeah, she is. It's a pretty good show. I mean, up and down has some off seasons, but ultimately a pretty good show. And she's uh, it's it's like a cop procedural, similar to like an American Broadchurch, and that it's about like one crime and it takes place over a full season. Yeah, I'm aware of it. Like I, I've yeah. seen trailers and stuff. I know I know what it, kind of what it, the idea behind it is. I just haven't ever sat down. There was another one that came out. It, you said that was the following. No, that was uh, the killing, not the following. The following is the one with like Kevin Bacon, right? The following and the killing came out around the same time, and like yeah. I kept getting those two mixed up a lot. Yeah, clearly. Um. Anyway, I just so I just want to say like I know she she can be great. She's been in some stuff that I really enjoyed, but uh, the war performance just continued to not land for me. And um, there was a couple of kind of cool looks, but then it felt like she was getting a little bit too, I don't know, like glam towards the end. And like, uh, and then kind of, there was a part where she was just spinning around with a sword for no reason for way too long. And then, and then she gets kicked in the shin and drops it. And it's just like, this is supposed to be literally the incarnate of war. And it just, like, I know it's a funny show and it's played for laughs, but I felt like they walked the line better uh, in the book of these these four horsemen being genuinely powerful, scary beings who just are unable to, you know, face Adam down. Um, Whereas in the show, it felt like these they're really not that scary. I don't know. And it might be one of those things where it was like within the production of a, of a show, you're like, where do you want to put your resources? Do you want to put your resources in your main characters or these side characters? And I think maybe they, they were like, let's make sacrifices here to make sure that these other areas are really solid and, and work really well. I also feel like we keep talking about negative things. So I think we've yeah. said we've said the things that I think that I was was down on it, down on. And I think that from here on, I just want to talk about good things because i like the show a lot and i worry that that it doesn't sound like that yeah yeah um, i agree overall the scene where adam is forcing his friends to not run i thought was really strong for for all of those characters because it was it was really it was like genuinely more scary than anything that the four horsemen did he's like forcing people to not move taking their mouths away yeah whenever i see a character who has no more lips like that's always terrifying <laughs> yeah what about the smile those creepy like joker oh, yeah. smiles like yeah. all of that was really was really working for me, and I and Adam was way more sinister. He was a lot more. He was almost more antichrist than he was in the book to me. I felt like he was getting he was like up flying in the air, causing yeah. crazy like f- storms. And I mean, I guess he did cause a storm in the book as well. But you know what I mean. He's like physically everything around him is changing, and and he does it for a couple of episodes. So I feel like it felt longer. Like he was he was in the tra- he was kind of in the antichrist form for a lot longer. In yeah, whereas it resolved much quicker in the book. I agree with that. Um, so yeah, I mean, speaking of that, um, one of the things my wife noticed, um, Annalisa, she noticed that uh, Pepper from the them, um, she wears red throughout, and uh, noticed that that could be like a visual cue that she's going to end up taking on War, right? Who was always wearing red. Yeah, so I thought like that, that was kind of interesting, even though, like, I don't know, that was more of a thing in the book, I guess. We did see it happen in the show, but um, did, is that something you picked up on? No, not really. But I, I liked I, I, I didn't definitely didn't get the, the color motif thing, but I, I felt like uh, Adam and the them were kind of their own four horsemen. And I felt like it was kind of in the book as well, where it's like, oh, yeah, for sure. The kids were kind of the antithesis to what each of the horsemen represented. And so like she went up against war and, and I, I felt like, yeah, it was like kind of like this, their own sort of horsemen. So when they arrive at the 
airbase. I don't know. You probably saw this, but the 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 guard is reading American Gods by Neil Gaiman, which I thought was a nice little nice yeah. little shout out oh, <laughs> to himself. Yeah, that w- that was cool. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people who are invested in American Gods right now because yeah. of the other show going on. So yeah. that's pretty cool. And, to and, and he's he's at an American airbase, so <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, you mentioned a reference, that, and I wanted to jump it way back. There's this. I think it's in episode four. Crowley is trying to figure out where he wants to run off to and there's pages flying around and there's one moment where a page is like directly behind him and on it it says Gallifrey and Gallifrey is the the home planet of of the doctor from Doctor Who and so like the idea that like he could be going to Gallifrey (laughs) is pretty awesome and you know Gallifrey has its own whole like I mean if within the universe of Doctor Who it's a complicated place so it's pretty funny to think that like oh Crowley's a demon so you could just go to Gallifrey anytime yeah that'd be cool man <laughs> definitely a, a, a cool reference you know you got to reference Doctor Who whenever you got Tenet in the show it's crazy how, how many uh, actual references are in here from Doctor Who I was I was really surprised at the number I thought you know one or two here and there but there's a lot yeah the horsemen when they get to the base they like create this virus and they start flipping all the switches and all the nuclear warheads are about to fire off and this is when Crowley, like we talked about, drove through the fire and he's like, he's, he, they, God talks about how he has an imagination and right now he's imagining his car not catching on fire as he yeah. like, or not melting, not falling apart as he goes through. And like, what's the, so what's the implication? Like, is it, is it because of his, how close he is with humanity that he's like developed an imagination or is it, was it part of the ineffable, ineffable plan that these two, this one demon and this one angel would, would kind of. Uh, stray away from the pack and have have their own abilities well that's the great thing about an ineffable plan like we obviously can't discuss it or know so uh it must have been <laughs> that that could be the excuse for anything you know that is the um, excuse there right anything that does happen was supposed to happen if there was an yeah. ineffable plan right? right so clearly it was supposed to happen that way at least that's what Crowley would want you to think is that's his like you know reasoning within the universe. Did you see by the way that I think it was Merriam-Webster did the word of the day as ineffable like recently? That's so I think cool. I think d- due to good omens. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure everybody was googling the hell out of that word. Yeah, recently. it must be right. They they see a spike in people googling stuff and they're like, all right, we're gonna make this word of the day. That's yeah. got to be a thing. So yeah, and and then really the last thing that happens is. Uh, Crowley rolls up in the flaming car and reunites with with Aziraphale, who's in Madame Tracy's body right now. And then they all sneak past the uh, the American guard there. Yeah, and that was another moment we talked before about the CGI. That was one to me that like very clear CGI, right? The car on fire, like. But there's no way to really show a car fully engulfed in flames yet still driving just fine without it being yeah. very obvious CGI. Like this is how it's gonna look. It's funny that you keyed on on that one because I, I have some stuff here about it. The VFX supervisor here is JC DeGuerra. And he said that the hardest effect to get right was the flaming car. The toughest thing about it was he's actually getting out of the car when it's on fire. So yeah. like you have a real person who has to be coming out of a flaming car. And like to do that in CG, is, it's really tough. Uh, yeah. He says in the book, there's tons of references to him driving at 120 miles per hour. We had a real Bentley. It could go 30 miles per hour. Everything past that was digital. <laughs> come on guys that's such an impossible task. limitations of real life man yeah yeah well i thought it looked i thought it looked good and that was one that i was totally willing to forgive like any slight 
sense of like, oh, obviously this is CGI. Cause like, yeah, it's just that it fit with the tone of the show to me. So it was fine. I felt like they really pulled off some of the, when he's like, when he's like driving around and they, they really punch in on his face and the flaming cars around him and stuff. Some of the shots yeah. are really stylized and cool. Like I think they really work. I agree. Are we ready, ready for this last episode? Cause I have a lot to yes. say about this one. Yeah, last episode is episode six, the very last day of the rest of their lives. Adam uses his abilities to separate Aziraphale from Madam Tracy. Adam's friends defeat war, pollution, and famine while death takes his leave. Beelzebub and Gabriel come to Earth to have Adam start Armageddon in accordance with the Great Plan, yet Adam refuses. Aziraphale and Crowley suggest to their respective supervisors that that what they want may be part of the Great Plan, but perhaps not the Ineffable Plan. Both sides reluctantly stand down. Satan hears of Adam's refusal from Beelzebub and comes up to Earth to destroy Adam. Adam renounces Satan as his father. Satan disintegrates just as Adam's earthly father arrives. Adam repairs the world to how it was before Armageddon started, including restoring Aziraphale's bookshop and Crowley's Bentley. Aziraphale and Crowley are tried by their respective peers for treason. They are found guilty and are sentenced to the most extreme punishment, with Aziraphale being told by Gabriel to get into the Hellfire and Crowley enters a tub filled with holy water provided by Michael. Yet, to everyone's shock, they both survive. Back on Earth, Aziraphale and Crowley switch bodies back to normal, which is why they were able to survive their sentences. Anathema is sent a continued version of Agnes Nutter's prophecies, but Newt convinces her to let go of her responsibility to follow the prophecies, and she burns them. Adam still has some of his reality-warping powers while confined to his parents' property. Shadwell and Madame Tracy start a relationship. Aziraphale and Crowley finally have lunch as a nightingale sings in Berkeley Square and God states that nobody can hear it over the traffic. Yeah, man. So we, we get a lot of changes here at the end, um, including the whole the whole bit about Aziraphale and, and Crowley getting sentenced to punishments um, all added for the for the show. Um, but let's back up and talk about that final confrontation and, and how did it end up feeling for you and, and were there parts that work, parts that it maybe fell flat, anything like that? I mean, we talked about the the horseman already. I don't feel yeah. like we need to talk about that much more. The final confrontation, I think Adam's, the way that Adam deals with this is he renounces his father out and mm-hmm. out and says like, you were never my father and changes reality to make it so that Satan never was his father, which I don't think was exactly explicitly stated in the book. Right. I it was agree. more of implied that he just like disappeared him for now and and his dad appeared. It's kind yeah. of what I got from the And again, the maybe that is the sort of subtext of the book, but they made it the plain text of the of the show. And that's not bad. Like, honestly, that's fine. Like, tell the story straight up. You know, sometimes that can be better. And, you know, if it's something that maybe wasn't completely clear to you in the book, it can become clear in the show. <laughs> yeah. As we've seen, has happened to me. <laughs> I think the final confrontation with that moment where... I actually really like like this and laughed and it was just a heartwarming moment for me with with Aziraphale saying like do something or I'll never talk to you again and Crowley like stops time he like stands up and like screams and like apparently he can summon pocket dimensions and like stop yeah time. And that was and that was an added bit uh, we did get yeah. to see them with their wings which was cool I love that the wings look great yeah. every time we see them so cool looking and then you know he restarts he like turns like a knob and it like restarts time and uh and then that's when he kind of takes care of Satan. Um, just fun. I, I really enjoyed that bit. A couple things I did want to say. Sorry to go back to the to the horseman, but I actually it, it was really really funny when when Pepper kept saying she just had like gold for lines. She mm-hmm. said uh, at one point at one point War says to her like go home go home little girl and play with your dolls or whatever. She says like 
my mom says that war is just masculine imperialism executed on a global stage. And then she says, <laughs> and, and I think that that's when she says, like, go home, little girl, and play with your dolls. And she's like, yeah. I do not endorse everyday sexism. Yeah. And, like, it's just all gold coming from, like, it's coming from somebody so young to have, like, that those wise of, of uh, <laughs> viewpoints and just, like, the slaying this this lady. It's, it's just really funny to me. It was funny. I, I agree. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't need to harp on the some of my disappointment with the four horsemen, but yeah, I can, I can admit that, that that stuff was cool for sure. Um, yeah. And we talked to, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but we get the actual line from the book and it was a little odd because it felt like, why is she sort of, why is God sort of narrating this in, in a way? Um, but on the other hand, it's like, that was one of my favorite lines from the book. So it was kind of cool just to get it verbatim on, in the show um, with, with death spreading his wings and the, and um, the thousand, uh, the millions of lights that may have been stars or may have been something else entirely, right? Something like that. Mm. Um, it was, it's a great line, um, and it was cool to see it on screen. Right, it's evocative, and then they also show it on screen, which is yeah, they, they do it justice on screen. Like it looked cool that that like it became like darkness and then star like lights and everything. It, it worked really well on screen. I will say, I wish that th- this was the last time we saw Death. I kind of didn't like his little pop up cameo that we had later. I really would have liked to have seen. I guess I guess seeing God where we saw God, where we assumed it was God, um, in the book would have been weird because right after the, like if we saw God and then everybody gets kidnapped, it wouldn't have really made sense. God wouldn't have. You would think God wouldn't have let that happen, maybe. Or, yeah, maybe. Know. Yeah, no. I mean, that's a, that's possible. Um, also, like maybe it was death in the book, and maybe we misread that part. I don't know. But regardless, I still felt like the way he leaves and says like I'll be back and like all this stuff. Like, I don't know. I just thought that was a better ending for that character. We I didn't really need to see him pop up again just to like give a foreboding statement and then yeah. pop away. It was funny, but like I don't know. I it, clearly this is all very subjective, right? Like when does a joke land for you? When does it feel like it's too much? Like this is all going to be very subjective and there's going to be people who are like, you know, angry with us and saying, ah, that was hilarious. What are you talking about? And and it's definitely the case, you know, like you say, it is subjective and it's, I think it's a personal thing. So uh, this is just how it was for us. And if it's different for you, we don't fault you for that. So it is what it is. So, uh, one of the things that I actually really liked, um, Cause I, so I rewatched the final episode recently. Um, I had watched it a few days ago and I rewatched it again today. And, um, in the second viewing of the final episode, I noticed at what it's really like they're, they're uh, Crowley and Aziraphale are sitting together at the bus and, and, and Aziraphale reads the prophecy that says something about like, choose your fate wisely. Something about fire then, too. Like you're, you're going to be playing with fire or something like yeah. that, right? And then when they're sitting at the bench, uh, I think the last thing Crowley says is something about like, we're going to have to choose our faces wisely here or something. And maybe that's what it said, faces or fate. I, I can't remember. Regardless, there's some line like that. And then the bus drives by and that's the last we see them. And then the next time we see them, it's it's Aziraphale walking into the bookstore and kind of looking around and he sees the new books on the, on, on the shelf that I think were like children's adventure books. And he says, oh, those are new. And then we see um, Crowley and he walks out and he sees the car sitting there pristine and he just kind of has like a slight smile and then he hops in a taxi and drives away. And of course, like I'm like, oh, so they've swapped bodies like I get it now. And I didn't pick it up the first time because this was a whole new thing. Um, But from that point on, they're swapped. And I started noticing little 
things in the performances that they were both doing to indicate that they are not actually like they were that this is a zero fail in Crowley's body and this is Crowley in a zero fail's body and they both played those characters slightly differently and that goes back to the thing you were talking about with the you know the stage show and everything that, that could have worked it was it was cool to see exactly yeah that that's exactly what i was talking about is the I, clearly they could do it and they could yeah. they could play the opposite character and it would be so much fun to see that see that table turn it'd it be really interesting um I actually like as far as this change, I really like this. I really enjoyed seeing more of the characters and I and I think the swap was clever, like really clever. I didn't see it coming until they were until it was clear, obviously, to the audience. And I think that's the best part of it is is it really worked and them swapping bodies is just it feels right. Like it feels like something they would do. Yeah. I'm telling you, man, go back and watch those scenes in, in, in retrospect and you can see they're doing little things. In yeah, you're right. I mean, to to indicate that I am actually a Zerfell or I am actually Crowley, and, and, and it's cool. Yeah, yeah, you're t- you definitely nailed it. Because I, 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 the first time I watched it, I didn't realize why. I was like, why didn't he just jump in his car? Maybe he doesn't want to yep. use his car right now. And it's like the way they're walking and stuff too is also different. Like yeah. Zerfell has a bit more of that like rock star swagger, and and Crowley has a bit more of that kind of like straight up and down step walking that we see Zerfell do. Like there's certain mannerisms that they adopt that I thought was really cool, and and, and worked pretty well. Without going over the top, because if they had done too much, it would have been very obvious. So they had to play it just right; otherwise, it would have they would have tipped their hand, and they wanted that surprise. Um, I mean, they're they're obviously lucky that the that the uh, the sentencing ended up to be the things that they're immune to. But uh, I, you can go back and say, well, Agnes Nutter gave them the prophecy, so she knew, but and everything she says is right. That then they knew, and so then they were right. So that it can make sense if you if you sort of reverse engineer it that way. I mean, not to mention that they probably this is probably a punishment that they give to the, like the high, this is probably the highest punishment that each party gives to any of their people, kind of thing. Maybe he when Aziraphale is getting put in the Hellfire, and he's like keeps talking, and then and then Gabriel's like shut your stupid mouth and die yeah, and hurry up and die. Yeah. And yeah, he drops the other F-bomb. He says, you know, I'm the fucking Archangel Gabriel. And and I, I liked it. You know, it was cool to see that in, in that moment, John Hammond. Once again, it's like it's one of those moments that you're not expecting an F-bomb to get dropped. And you're like, oh, OK. Um, and I think it's kind of showing that, you know, Gabriel's not a very good person. And, you know, they and really with 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 heaven and hell, both being sort of dystopian, they really are tying these two forces together and saying that these are more alike to each other than they are humanity which is its own thing, right? Well, they and then that's kind of talked about at the very, very end, yep. where it's like, you know, all of us against them. And you're, and then Aziraphale's like, wait, them against humanity? And he's like, yeah, which, uh, you know, the implication of that is pretty scary. It's like, what is how is humanity going to stand up to that? Yeah, well, I want to I want to touch on that at the very end of the episode. I want to talk a little bit about if we think that we could see a sequel to this. Okay. Because there's been some talks. We'll save that for the very end. Yeah. So uh, we do get Adam and his sort of symbolic leaving of the garden and eating of the fruit. Um, how did you How did you feel like it played on screen? I still liked it as much as I did in the book. I, I really yeah. enjoyed it. I, there was some stuff in the book that, that some extra lines that were given that to give more context, not not of the event that actually happens, but just like the idea of thinking of childhood and and time passing and and just the 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 reason why the the you know the forbidden fruit is is worth it sometimes and 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 i really liked it i think it got the they got the message across in the show though and i i really like that part and i i wonder if um i don't know i felt like i i got that connection more strongly in the book but it maybe 
I wonder if there would be anybody who was able to watch this and not realize that, that they're referencing the Garden of Eden. I mean, the line about, like, him thinking that, like, there's never an apple that's not worth taking, like, that's definitely pretty obvious. Um, so I think people probably got it. But, uh, yeah, it's cool. It's cool to see this sort of play out as, like, a new Garden of Eden situation. So, yeah, I really liked just the reaction from from Heaven and Hell when, when Aziraphale and Crowley are, like, surviving their punishments they're not supposed to be. And then, basically, yeah. they just say, like, you know, they talk to them about they make them think like is this part of the ineffable plan is this part of the great plan that they don't know about and uh right which could be two different things <laughs> it seems like they're going to be left alone and then we get them on a bench together switching bodies back uh and they go to dinner together which i think is the same thing from from the book mm-hmm. and they go to dine at the ritz yeah and then there's this whole thing that also is in the book i believe with a nightingale sings in berkeley square yep. but uh you know it couldn't be heard over the traffic do you do you I, so even for the book I didn't I didn't really understand the reference I got, I got the fact that it was like probably a song from a song or a story or something did you did you do you know anything about it or did you look into it at all No I do, you know I don't I don't really know what that's referencing I assume it's also something like a song but so what's interesting is I did note that the final song is by Tori Amos who is yes. a good friend of of Neil Gaiman Now I don't know if she is covering something with that final song or if it's an original piece I'm not really sure um, cause it's singing about the nightingale and all that. Um, yeah, that's, I mean, if anybody knows, write in and, and, and let us, let us in on it. I'm sorry that that's not something I, you know, know off the top of my head, but I don't, uh, yeah, well, I'm not sure what that's referencing. I did look into a little, into it a little bit and it's, okay. it's, um, it's from a song and it was kind of hard to like nail down where exactly it first came from. But I believe Bobby Darren is like the most popular version of it. He's a songwriter, jazz, pop, rock musician, from like the 50s or so and the lyrics here I pulled up some of the lyrics the the important lyrics for the story are that certain night the night we met there was magic abroad in the air there were angels dining at the ritz and a nightingale sang in berkeley square hmm. so it kind of seems like the idea of them like dining at the ritz and all of that ties back into like this song and and uh this moment in time it, it's it's cool to see like oh this was something that it was a i believe it's like a british uh song originally or at least like an, some sort of art or something like that. It has a long history that I'm not informed about because I'm not European. Again, it, like you said, if anybody knows more, I'd love to hear more about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. if anybody could shine a little extra light on it, because clearly there's like something there we're not quite getting, um, and I would definitely be curious to hear that. Um, but yeah, man, I want to talk about season two of Good Omens and whether or not we think it, it could happen. Um, but first, uh, we just wanted to thank... A patron. Let's thank uh, Andrew M. this week. It's been a while since we thanked him. Thank you for being a patron, and hopefully you've been enjoying this coverage. Um, And, you know, thanks for supporting us. If you guys wanted to find out how to become a patron as well, go to patreon.com forward slash ink to film, and you can find all the bonus content that we have on there, which will include our 14th bonus episode, which we will be releasing this month at some point. Follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all of those adding to film. And if you'd like to join our Council of Inklings, we decided on our next project based on kind of interests in, in Children of Men. So go check yep. that out. It's a good way to be involved in, in kind of maybe stuff that we'll be covering in the future. And also we post uh, news about upcoming adaptations and, and other things that interest us in there. Absolutely. Got a nice little community starting to grow there. We'd love for you to be a part of it. Uh, also, if you'd like to help the show out, make sure to leave us a rating and a review and let us know what you thought of this episode or the, our coverage in general for Good Omens. We'd love to hear some feedback from you, and the best way to do that is in a rating or a review. 
Thank you to Jennifer DeLazana for providing our transcripts. And thank you to Music Lover for providing our intro and outro music. All right, man. So Good Omen Season 2. I've seen some talk. And what are your what's your initial thoughts about whether or not this could actually happen? Look, I, as a as somebody who's a fan of these kinds of things, you know, shows like this in general, anything that I that I really enjoy, I get connected to characters. I would love to see another season, but I, I honestly, if I'm a creative force in this, I let it lie, and I don't I don't have another season. Um, you know, it was fun. This was this was made as an adaptation of mater- existing material. It seems like Neil Gaiman wouldn't really be on board to showrun any longer. As much as I would love to see more of these characters, and I think there is some stuff there, it's always good to have something. Just let it lie as it is. Let it be this great moment in in time and history and the story that we can all revisit and see as many times as we want. That's kind of where I land on it. I don't really think we need a second season. So that was my initial thought as well. Um, But I've changed a little bit in the last few days, kind of thinking about it more and rewatching the final episode. They do a lot of work to set up a potential second season here. They talk about the next big war between humanity and 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 them, you know, the, the angels and demons. Um, Ye Saga continues with Agnes Nutter. They made sure to include that there's additional, you know, further nice and accurate prophecies. And that was all in the book because they kind of intended to write a sequel that they never really did. But you could have easily left a lot of that out of the show to make it feel more like it was done, right? And there was not something else coming. But to me, it feels kind of like they were they were going, well, we'll leave the door open. And if it's really popular, maybe we bring it back. We don't know how much notes Neil Gaiman has from from him and Terry Pratchett and their discussions of further books and like how much other stuff we know that he touched on some of it. Right. That was what you saw in your research. But we don't know there. Maybe there's a lot more that they had planned that was going to truly take place after the events of this novel, which you would think there would be some of that. And he could draw on that and he could decide like it's worth do it's worth doing. And, and and if there's enough interest and if Neil Gaiman was willing to come back and continue to show run the thing, um, I think it's possible, you know, and I, I was initially thinking like there's no way. But I don't know, man, like I think this could actually happen. We could actually see a season two. So, I mean, I think there's a possibility that we do. I'm just I, I just think that the you got to I think the best things leave people wanting more. And yeah. like, I think across the board, as much as we want to double dip and as much as we want to see more of these characters, look, I love these characters. I would love to just watch like six hours of these characters sitting at a dining table and eating together and telling stories. And, and you know what I mean? That's a, I would love to see that because I love those characters. But I just think there was a template in place like they he had written the story as it was intended there. And, I, and like you say, there was maybe a sequel in the works, but... I don't know if it's like from all I can tell, he's not he's not interested in show running anything anymore. Um, and I think that would be the biggest reason to not do it again. But then again, you know, enough interest and enough money gets thrown at it. Somebody will show run it and I'm sure they could get a season two going. I just think this is a nice miniseries that that exists that that I think captures a certain lightning in a bottle, a certain tone, a certain style, a certain couple of people coming together to create something unique. Um, yeah. I don't know. It could happen. I just don't. I I would I would think that I they should let it lie. Yeah, man. I mean, I like I said, that was me a couple of days ago, and for whatever reason, I've had a change of heart, and now I'm excited by the prospect of there potentially being, you know, another season based off of notes that never actually became a book. And what would be cool about that is it'd be going in, and it, it would feel kind of like an adaptation, and you would hope that it would feel authentic, but it would be something that we had never gotten before, so it would be new for everybody. 
I don't know, man. I'm kind of excited by the potential potential for it. This is my question. Would you be would you be worried about diminishing returns? Or do you of course. Like, you know what I mean? Like Of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah do you yeah. do you think that there's any way that it lives up to the first season? Sure. Uh, because Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett are brilliant writers. And I could totally see that they had a novel like eighty percent written that was never quite completed, and maybe that was actually a really fucking good novel. And mm-hmm. maybe Neil Gaiman feels like, hey, I want to do something with this. I don't know, man. Like, I don't see any reason why it couldn't be great. Um, but I do get the risk, and I absolutely think it could be a letdown. Um, that yeah. absolutely could happen. But think- I mean, there's everything in Hollywood is a risk to an extent. And um, maybe a, you could argue a second season off of a popular show isn't that big a risk because you're going to have a built-in audience. I don't know. Um, I, I'd be interested. If he has something like that, though, wouldn't you rather see the second book? rather than the second season of the show though i I just like i don't know if there's that much of it there then like why not finish the book and write it for terry and everything well because it i don't know it feels more like publishing a book now that terry pratchett has passed um for whatever reason that feels like more of a disservice to that whereas an, an adaptation is different um because he was never writing the show so it'd feel more like a continuation of the show in a way I don't know. And that's a small distinction. Yeah. And that's just one I'm making in the off the cuff. Um, but yeah, for whatever reason, that doesn't feel quite as weird to me as 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 him as Neil Gaiman just putting out book two would to me. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, we'll see what the future brings. I, I'm not going to say no to a second season. You know, if it yeah. comes out, I'm not going to not watch it. I just if, if given the per- personal preference, I'd, I'd rewatch the first season. Uh, and that's where I, that's where I stand as of now. I'll let you know if anything changes. Yeah, I'm old not hope, man. Uh, so we we hope you come back for us. We're going to be into ne- Children of Men next week, which will be a very different tone. Um, but we enjoy these kind of like more philosophical sci-fi t- t- uh, projects every now and then. And I think it's going to be fun. It's going to lead to some really interesting, hopefully, conversation and some some deep topics. And I'm excited for it. And we hope you return for us uh, with us uh, next week for that. All right, man. So thank you for being just enough of a bastard to be worth knowing. And until next time. To the world. To the world.